The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench this Saturday. Coming up, we look back at last night's 4-1 win by Cork City at home to Longford. It's a huge weekend for Cork. It's make or break against Clare tomorrow. We hear from Patrick Horgan and Cork legend Shawnee McGrath ahead of the game in Thurles. Paul Townend is champion jockey again. We'll get his thoughts on another incredible season for the Corkman. Neve Briggs spoke to Jeremy McCarthy ahead of tonight's final round of the Women's Six Nations. That's on the way later on. We'll also round up all of the day's action I'm keeping an eye on the snooker here and of course Man City and Leeds Man City lead 1-0 against Leeds that's all coming up before 7 Aidan Lee here with you until 7 o'clock and uh, yeah, busy, busy day and uh, plenty of local GA action on at the moment. Um, I think it's half time between Mallow and St. Finbar's in the Cork Credit Union's Football League Division 1 and the Bars lead 7-4 uh, in that one and approaching half time, it was Castlehaven 1-7, Aeroge 8 points at 7 o'clock, Newcestown play uh, for my um, Cork City women's unfortunately I think they're 6-0 down um, at the moment um, they're away uh, to deal our waves so tough one there uh, unfortunately for City uh, we'll keep an eye on all of those games as we go along there's also action in the uh, championships and the uh, Ulster championship Monaghan giving down a bit of a beating with a couple of minutes to go 23 points to 2-6 in the Ulster quarter final in the Connacht semi-final Roscommon the Division 2 league champions of course looking to to set up a, a, a rematch uh, again with, with the team they beat in that final uh, Galway but sure Galway of course have to come through their own semi-final first which will be uh, I suppose a, a test against Leitrim for them tomorrow but it's 12-5 to Roscommon against Sligo in that one uh, elsewhere in Leinster Westmeath and Longford have just gotten underway scoreless after three minutes Clare lead Limerick by a point after two in the Munster quarter final in the football and uh, there's uh, another game as well kicking out or throwing in later uh, in the Munster Championship so we'll, we'll keep an eye on all of that uh, before we get into anything else plenty of boxing news of course Katie Taylor uh, she'll make history tonight by topping the bill at Madison Square Garden of course the iconic New York venue she's putting all her belts on the line against Puerto Rico's Amanda Serrano um, I had a lot of buzz about this because of course Jake Paul is is involved as a promoter and he's trying to steal a lot of the limelight but uh, yeah it's huge for Katie Taylor and it's, well, it's just huge that there's a, a women's boxing event headlining at Madison Square Garden so best of luck to Katie and also uh, on the home front huge news Gary Spike O'Sullivan um, he's gotten a shot at the WBA World Middleweight title on May the 28th tune in tomorrow to the Big Red Bench from 6pm because Rory will be speaking to the man from Mahan. Uh that's huge news for him so uh, very well done um, uh, I suppose also today uh, sad news uh, football uh, super agent Mina Raiola died aged 54 um, it was reported he had died during the week but uh, it turned out to be a, a false rumour but he has now died uh, after an illness his family confirmed the news in a statement calling him the most caring and amazing football agent that ever was um, very famous of course in the last probably decade changed the whole landscape of football you have to say 
whether that was for the better or worse uh, it's probably not the time to be having that discussion now uh, to be fair but of course Paul Pogba, Erling Haaland, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and loads loads more all among his his clients um, uh, so uh, yeah I think Alex Ferguson was probably one of the first people who to have a big run in that was, that was quite public um, over Paul Pogba at the very start of his Manchester United career back before he left for, for Juventus uh, but yeah he's passed away today um, I suppose getting into the Premier League action then and bad news for the Canaries uh, Norwich have been relegated from the Premier League uh, a couple of things had to go the, their way and it just wasn't to be they lost 2-0 to Aston Villa and Burnley also managed to win and they came back from 1-0 down to beat uh, Watford 2-1 and uh, we have a full-time report from Tom Ross here uh, who watched the Canaries go down to Villa Aston Villa 2 Norwich 0 goals from Ollie Watkins in the first half and in stoppage time at the end of the second half from Danny Ings plus uh, results from elsewhere means that Norwich are now relegated to the championship never a classic but Norwich had their opportunities as well but Villa always looked the more threatening it finished Aston Villa 2 Norwich 0 Canaries captain Grant Hanley was speaking afterwards and he said it's a tough day for the club. Well, obviously just walked off the pitch. So, you know, first of all, obviously disappointed with our result and then you know, hear that walking off, you know, really, really disappointing. It, you know, probably it's fair, you know, we've not been good enough this season. So, you know, a major, major disappointment. I've never seen, I, there's been a lot of yo-yo clubs in the Premier League uh, since, uh, since it became the Premier League, I suppose, in the 90s. There's been a lot of yo-yo clubs, but Norwich must be the biggest yo-yo club of all. Like, they really have taken it to a new level. And, you know, you'd back them to win the championship next year, like, because that's just what they do. Um, but, uh, look, I suppose we'll have to see what's going on there. Dean Smith, like, is a very good manager. He's experienced, well experienced in getting teams promoted out of the championship. So, very well could see uh, Norwich get promoted again next year and then finish on the bottom of the Premier League table the year after that it's just what they do and they make plenty of money doing it I can assure you that as well Burnley uh, of course uh, they they were one of those results that meant uh, it was Norwich that that went down and it was a huge result in terms of the relegation battle and they've put put, uh, Frank Lampard and Everton under serious pressure now they came back uh, from behind to win 2-1 Nigel Bidmead was there Watford 1 Burnley 2 Burnley left it late but two goals in the last six minutes have all but relegated Watford and have gone a long way to preserving Burnley's Premier League status Burnley were trailing to a James Tarkovsky own goal until 84 when Jack Cork equalised with a diving header from close range at the far post and with Watford stunned Burnley went ahead when Josh Brownhill forced home a low shot after Watford had failed to clear a free kick Watford 1 Burnley 2 Elsewhere, Brighton defeated Wolves 3-0 and Crystal Palace scored a winner in injury time to beat Southampton thanks to Wilfred Zaha. Uh, Liverpool moved to the summit of the table after their 1-0 win at Newcastle in the early kickoff. Um, Nebi Keita got the goal there in the 20th minute of that. Uh, defending champions Manchester City will end the day on top if they beat Leeds and they're 1-0 up um, approaching halftime there. Real Madrid wrapped up La Liga, uh, their 35th La Liga title. Uh, they beat Espanyol 4-0 and Carlo Ancelotti is the first manager to win all top five league titles. So, obviously, I actually thought he'd won the La Liga with, with Real Madrid in his first stint as manager, but he hadn't. It was, it was the missing piece of the jigsaw. So that's now La Liga with Real Madrid. Uh, Bayern Munich uh, in, the, in the Bundesliga, uh, PSG in the French League. 
Chelsea of course in England uh, AC Milan in Italy uh, uh, yeah so um, before we move on to Cork City's uh, big win last night uh, just a quick update I'm watching the snooker here the snooker has been unbelievable uh, this t- all today uh, Trump and Williams it has been very very tense Trump has a 27 points to 1 lead in this last frame decider at 16 frames apiece winner takes all they go to the final uh, against possibly Ronnie O'Sullivan he, he has a nice advantage now over John Higgins uh, heading into that session this evening but this has been incredible stuff by Trump and Williams really really exciting stuff and uh, I say in nearly every frame uh, of the last 3 or 4 have been really really long uh, the last frame I think was over half an hour so probably will go on a bit longer here again with the way the table is as well it, it's quite uh, it's not a, it's not exactly ideal break building conditions for, for Judd Trump who's who's currently on the table but um, he definitely has the ability to win the frame here in the first visit so we'll see how he gets on I must say as well actually just speaking about matchroom sports I suppose I went to the darts uh, the Premier League darts in, in the three arena on Thursday and it was absolutely incredible uh, if you're ever thinking of going to it I absolutely would recommend it really good atmosphere there uh, so I really enjoyed that one um, as I said Cork City huge win last night at the cross 4-1 against Longford Town an own goal forced by Kevin O'Connor Cross got City back level before half time they conceded the opening goal Barry Coffey grabbed a brace and then Derek Crowley did this with minutes left and I think it's fair to say our own Rory, who was on commentary for LOI TV, along with Philip Long, might have enjoyed this a small bit. And Cork's going to get a fourth here. Still more goals there for City if they want it. Shot to Darren Crowley, takes a shot. Oh, oh God, it is! Goal! What a goal! Whoa! Oh, great goal, great goal. Just when we were thinking that it's over. Darren Crowley on as a second half substitute what a goal. ball drops to him the crowd screams shoot Darren Crowley obliges a right foot rasper from over 20 yards in off the post my goodness gracious me what a goal unbelievable he really teed that up didn't he oh wow oh man that was magnificent uh, could not see that coming oh. could not see that coming yeah, he was horse uh, last week uh, when we heard a clip from him after the Mai Tai event. And I'd say he was a small bit horse this morning as well after that roar. And uh, seven seconds of time to that, the length of, of his goal shout, uh, which he's starting to make a bit of a trademark out of, even though I'm sure there's a couple of South American commentators that'll be coming after him uh, for that one. But uh, yeah, great stuff, great win for Cork City. Um, as and they continue their march towards the first division title hopefully we won't get too far ahead of ourselves I suppose here's City boss Colin Healy with Cullum after the game yeah no it was it's a massive three points for us um, I thought the first half we were we weren't at it we weren't at it um, you know so I thought um, Longford um, they controlled the game I think we give away silly possession but they causes problems causes problems on the break um, so we came in half time we had a few words and listen, the players went out second half they, they, they were brilliant we some, got some fantastic goals we got some good performances but it's um, yeah it was first half wasn't, wasn't, wasn't great it wasn't like us but um, second half we were, we were uh, much better we were we're sure the character kind of in the team and the squad that's there this year to, to get back into it. I mean, last season, you probably wouldn't have had that desire to push on when you, when you fell behind a few times. You weren't getting those results. It's, it's kind of a different ball game this year, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It is. Um, as I said, listen, we've got good players inside the dressing room. Um, is it, listen, we demand a lot from them. Um, 
as I said, you can see in the second half is that fitness levels were good. Um, we made some good changes, players that came on, and, and obviously Derek Crowley got a fantastic goal. But um, second half, we were we were very, very good, but we need to start like that as well. Two for Barry Coffey again. He likes scoring into the shed end, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, two, listen, two very two very uh, good goals. Barry has that in him. Listen, he's an attacking midfielder. We always encourage him to get in the box and um, two great goals from well, it's a bit of distance now between yourselves and Longford. I think that's 11 points now there behind G. Uh, Galway got the win in the end tonight as well. So is it turning into a two-horse race or is it too early to say that? I think it's too early to say that. Um, as I said, there's plenty plenty games left. Well, listen, we, we focus on the next game and that's the that's the way we approach things. But it's um, listen, they're a good side. Um, they'll be thereabouts. But as I said, we focus on ourselves. Like he knew it was going to be tough coming in tonight. We spoke about it during the week that Longford have been pushing. He got the, they drew, drew with G up in Longford. But uh, that's a big win for one in the end, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It's 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 a great win for us. Um, we got some great uh, goals. But listen, they cause us problems as well. Do you know, even in two one, they have a great chance there. Uh, we're grading with the header. It goes uh, past the post. But it's, um, they're a good side. Um, I think it was it was a very good second half performance. Um, and it's uh, it's credit for the players for it. A good crowd here tonight. Probably a little bit less with Ed Sheeran on down below as well, but uh, still great support. You were there last night, weren't you? I was indeed. <laughs> <laughs> no, You're tonight, though. That's all that matters. No, listen. They, as I said, they come out in four, and it's listen. It's fantastic. The the, the fans and listen, they, they're great. They've always been great, and they're great, and the the, the, the players love playing in front of them, and uh, we can't ask any more from them. And uh, treaty now on Monday. It's a, it's another big game, and you're getting used to these kind of Friday Monday games. Yeah, we are. We are. Um, as I said, the players keep saying they'll come back in tomorrow. They'll recover, and we'll go again, and we we'll get ready for three D on Monday. But it's uh, it's great to have the the um, games over a short space of time. Listen, we get the players in, and we look after them. We we go again Monday. What do you expect from Treaty? They put it right up to Galway tonight, but you had a big win of, over them up in Limerick earlier on the season. Yeah, no, we did. We did. They're, they're a good side. They're a good side. Um, they've probably got. They've been. They've got better since we played them the last time. So they'll, they'll be a difficult side. They'll be. They'll be hard to break down. But uh, as I said, listen, we we've got a good squad ourselves. So we'll be. Um, as I said, we'll focus on that over the weekend, and we get ready for Monday. Colin Healy there speaking after uh, last night's win against Longford Town at Turner's Cross. Judd Trump had this game at his mercy and he missed red with the rest, which, well, I mean, I'd have missed it as well, let's face it, but it, it was still for him uh, quite not that difficult of a shot. And Mark Williams has come in and he's after the deficit on points and he's putting him under all sorts of pressure here uh, some really good safety shots going in by Williams so definitely going to keep an eye on that for the, the next uh, next 20 minutes or so because this could really drag on uh, anyway as we were saying at the top of the show what a huge game it is tomorrow for Cork against Clare and Thurless and uh, it's serious now it really is serious uh, they need a win here uh, let's face it after Clare's performance against Tipperary last week um, when they defeated them so uh, it's back to the wall stuff uh, that's what everyone is saying that's what you read everywhere when you read about this game uh, Rebels forward Patrick Horgan was part of the Centra Choices the finest campaign last week and uh, afterwards he caught up with Oshin Langan and uh, spoke about uh, the campaign and of course the big game tomorrow we're joined by Cork Hurler Patrick Horgan as Centra, Ireland's leading convenience retail group, launches a new campaign that celebrates choices called Choices Define Us. Um, as part of this launch, Patrick, um, Centra have commissioned research and part of it reveals that uh, one in two Irish people feel their daily choices have the power to impact positively 
on society. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's uh, like for me, we just had a chat in there a while ago about, um, I suppose, community and choices and uh, the only thing I can speak about is uh, from community is about my local club and hurling and um, I suppose uh, any choice, like the biggest choice that was ever made for me uh, I obviously didn't make it it was my parents bringing me to my local club the Glen uh, and I suppose that has impacted me like really positively and even them as well because like my dad brought me down um, when I was about seven or eight and like doing that like down through the years he's been uh, involved uh, in the club as well in different teams and that's something he enjoys too um, and I suppose that's that's the whole thing about uh, club community family it's like um like by that one simple choice I suppose um, it opened up like so much for, for everyone even in my family and um, you know that's uh, it's brilliant and I would like even a while ago I would encourage like uh, parents as much as uh, some kids would say they're not interested in sport I would definitely say like um, the parent has the choice like when they're that young just to nudge them along a little and, and get them down and um, they won't regret it as soon as they walk in the door they'll meet friends they'll meet uh, people that they're going to know for the rest of their lives and um, have great fun doing it The choice was made for you by your parents to send you hurling but you made the choice at some stage to stay hurling I'm sure it's a choice that you've you've never regretted yeah, like, and it was it was because of that first choice, I suppose. Um, I was down there, I enjoyed it. The people I, I met the first day I was there, they're all still my best friends. Um, we meet up the whole time and uh, we still play even with the Glen Seniors together. So uh, I suppose that was like really, really important like that time. And I suppose since then, um, the, there comes a time where I suppose the parent, my parent, uh, parents uh, kind of just say, look, it's up to you now. Well, if you want to do with it, but um, yeah, that's something. And I wouldn't like obviously uh, thank them a lot for it but um, when I got the choice to stay it wasn't the choice like I love like I love the Glen and I love uh, being around the Glen and all the people in it yeah. now talk to me about the weekend big one coming up against Clare yeah um we're looking forward to it, I suppose. Uh, we were disappointed in the last day, um, not to look back at it too much, but yeah, we were disappointed. Um, and we feel it's an opportunity, I suppose, just to, you know, uh, correct ourselves a small bit. Um, obviously, we're going in against a really good team, and you see that last week with, with their game against Tip. Um, but I suppose it's the Munster Championship, and it's so competitive, like, um, it's hard to know how any game is going to go. But I suppose, look, we can only look after ourselves, and we just try to correct a lot of wrongs I suppose from, from uh, the Limerick game and hopefully they come out on, on the weekend In as much as you can tell us about some of the wrongs you need to correct I suppose like just um, what we do a lot like is uh, you know taking taking ball into uh, tackles and big men unnecessarily kind of sometimes and uh, I suppose our distribution wasn't uh, great um, we just I suppose what we what we you know plan to do we just didn't do it um, and I suppose that's everybody on the field and uh, yeah it's something uh, obviously that hurts when you put so much effort into something that uh, and it doesn't go right for you on the day um, it just hurts that uh, you couldn't carry it out but we'll get another opportunity this week and hopefully we can we can correct it Is there a noticeable level of hurt around the camp? Is there a noticeable increase in focus? Is there a noticeable I suppose change in the emotion in the lead into this game compared to the last one and maybe ones previous? Um, it's actually hard to, to judge that because yes we're, we're hurt but um, as I say if there was a five week gap like it used to be before you'd be hurting for a couple of weeks and I suppose you, you wouldn't be focusing on your next game but with this uh, Roan Robin you're playing so quick that 
win, lose or draw, like you just need to forget it, move on. Um, and I think we've done a good job of that now the past week. Um, fellas are in good spirits uh, around training and uh, they're looking forward to a big game. I imagine you just cannot wait to get onto that pitch in Thurles, the, the home of hurling as some call it. It's hard to disagree with that, isn't it, given the, the games we've seen there down the years? Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to it. And uh, obviously Thurles is a place where we love to go as well, uh, along with I suppose everybody else who wouldn't like to play in Thurles. But uh, yeah, we like going there and... Uh, you know, we're, we're delighted we're getting an opportunity to to correct uh, a few things from last week. Yeah. Pat, really appreciate your time. Patrick Horgan speaking to us as Centra launched their new campaign called Choices to Find Us. Pat, thank you. That's the job, thanks. Shawnee McGrath is on the line ahead of tomorrow's big game and Thurless. Uh, Shawnee, I was reading your piece in the Examiner today with, with Michael Moynihan and uh, just reflecting back on, on those great Clare teams of the 90s you came up against. Um, yeah, they were a top, top team. Um, Aiden, like I suppose I described him as being similar to Thomas Limerick, the Limerick team of today. Um, I, I suppose the nineties in general was a, a time when you had Wexford coming through, um, Limerick had come through in Munster, um, Offaly had come through, and then and Clare. But for me, Clare were the team of the nineties, and um, they were desperately unlucky as well. And, in 96 and 98 so yeah happy memories Aidan <laughs> exactly yeah and of course now tomorrow it's a different situation to back then I suppose uh, but both teams well I suppose Clare will, will be will be in good form particularly after after last week I, I wrote Clare off completely I have to say um, at the start of, of the Munster Championship I reassessed that opinion after last weekend Clare's forwards were on top form they were and I suppose if you kind of rewind to last year Clare were very unlucky not to be Cork as well inside in the Gaelic rounds. Tony Kelly probably should have gold as well as he played in the game. He probably should have gold in the end and it would have seen Cork knocked out. So, you know, to be fair to him, it's an excellent team. Um, and then you add in uh, Peter Duggan coming back and Shane O'Donnell coming back. Um, lads like Rory Hayes in the corner um, coming through, Ryan Taylor and the lad Mouncey coming through. So, when you, no, I know I know I had a few injuries. Aidan McCarthy and a few lads who were key players for them over the last couple of years are out. But, and in what they didn't have last year, look at the form in the championship last year, as in, like, say, that Cork game in Limerick. It's a good side. Um, no, they played very well on the day. I, I think their victory was as much to do with Tipperary being very, very poor as well. Mm-hmm. But credit to Clare, they came through. Um, the foundations were laid in the first half with a couple of goals. Um, and they kind of just saw it out, even though they were under a bit of pressure in the second half. But, yeah, they, they're, they're, they put in a fantastic performance. And maybe... I was the same as you, um, Aidan. We all got it wrong. I, I did expect, because Tip had done so well against Waterford down in Watch Park, I did expect Tip to come through, but credit to Clare, they were outstanding on the day. Yeah, and of course, that forward line now up against uh, a Cork back line that, you know, there's a few injuries and their confidence isn't exactly going to be soaring either. It's a huge test for the Cork back line. It's a huge test, yeah. I, I think Clare's victory and Cork's poor performance against Limerick has very much made it a kind of a 50-50 game. Um, I think if Cork defensively get it right, make a few switches. Um, I, I suppose the one thing you would say about the Cork defence is that there's no one necessarily calling for anyone to be dropped. Um, the one change might be injury enforced, say, because the talk is, obviously the team is not until later on, but the talk is that um, Damon Callan might be carrying an injury which might open the door for someone like a Rob Downey to come back in, but you know, all the talk about the centre-back stuff and the Mark Coleman stuff. No one is calling for Mark to be dropped, just maybe to be put into a different position. Yeah. And for me, that kind of paints a different picture as well, that, you know, players aren't necessarily playing poorly. Um, it's just that maybe the position doesn't suit them and they might be better positioned in a different part, of, another part of the field, say. 
So from that perspective, hopefully, um, you know, if those positional changes do happen, it'll just, you know, get that little bit of tweaking into the defence that'll improve it. But certainly after the defeat the last day against Limerick um, and Clare being by by scoring, you know, huge scores at 320 or something, it has very much made a game that at the start of the year, I would have said, Cork's favourites has now made it very much a 50-50 game. Yeah, and like you said, with a couple of injury concerns there, there looks like there will be changes. We could see, I suppose, maybe Kieran Joyce going back into the full back line again, like he did in the league final, and maybe picking up Shane O'Donnell, possibly. Possibly, yeah, and that's where it gets a bit interesting. Say, like if Peter Duggan spent a lot of the game against Limerick in the full forward line, you'd imagine if Damien is fit, fine. If it's Damien out, that someone like a Rob Downey might be better suited. Yeah. I would think, yeah, and it could be wrong, but that Rob Downey might be better suited. You know, get Joyce to, to centre back, um, you know, and maybe, you know, put Mark on the wing and maybe bring Jordan Mellerick back and maybe move Tim O'Malley to midfield. They'd be some of the changes I'd be thinking that could, um, you know, could have a positive impact, say, um, on the cock performance. Um, but then again, like you just mentioned, Shane O'Donnell, the last day, almost played as a, almost a third midfielder, um, got two excellent points, was. Uh, you know, integral to all the scores that 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 Clare got, all the big scores, say all the goals. His moment is incredible. Um, everyone kind of rewinds to 2013 and the three goals he got in the other final. But there's an awful lot more to Shane O'Donnell's game than just scores. He's a huge link man. So, um, and what do you do there? Like 12 months ago, Tony Kelly, Shane wasn't there. Shane O'Donnell, so Tony Kelly was the roving man. Nilo Leary picked him up. Like this year, what do you do? Uh, do you go man marking and maybe put a, a Joe Mellerick on him to follow him everywhere? I, I think he demands or commands that respect he should be followed everywhere because he's such a link man and such a creator so it's quite intriguing actually when you, when you break it down and it'll be interesting to see what sort of a game plan um, Cork employ to try and you know thwart all those different aces that Clare have in their pack Yeah psychologically like it's, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how Cork turn up to this and we, we spoke after the league final about how you feel like you might be at a crossroads with your game plan when you when you when you uh, take a beating, even though it was only six points in the end uh, in the league final. But, but when you were beat the way you are, and then when you lose again to Limerick, like there must be a bit of faith at least shaken in the style of player you're you're planning on uh, on playing. Yeah, um, I I, th- I think so. Like it's uh, to be honest, it's not pleasing on the eye. Uh, a lot of it annoys me as well. Um, and a lot of the fans I've been speaking to since a lot of pals and all that have said the same like that it can be hard to watch but I went to the under 20 games the other night Cork and Tip and Tip did it all night they all they played out from the back the whole time and actually kind of went into tackles at times when you were kind of going God almighty would have just let the ball up the field so it just seems to be the game plan that most teams around the country are are um, are deploying so and, and it broke down for Cork maybe because at times they played it sillily and other times maybe just fellas didn't have enough confidence in their own ability or you know didn't just maybe show a good touch or maybe didn't release it quick enough um, and that's where I would sort of as well put responsibility responsibility back on the players and say look yes you can hide behind different formations and game plan discussions and tactics and that but at the end of the day an awful lot of the Cork players their form wasn't good enough on the day either the last um, day against Limerick Aiden. so it's a mix of that it's a mix of management getting it right but also it's a mix of players dusting themselves down um, realising that it is only one game it's one game of four there's a l- huge campaign to go this game tomorrow against Clare is the biggest game on the Cork calendar at the moment they have to win yeah. um, injuries if a fella's 70-30 I'd be chancing him if he's a key player get him in there they have to play um, to the to you know to the best of their ability they have to employ um, but you know put the best players on the field and they have to go for broke uh, they just have to have to go for broke it's a huge game in the Cork calendar if you're beaten it's very, very hard to see how the team 
will finish third and um, Wallace will pick up more points going to Torles to play a tip the tip crowd really got behind their side in that under 20 game the other night they never liked being beaten by Cork so they come with all guns blazing and you still have to go to Waterford to play them in Watch Park so tomorrow's game is a mammoth game um, they have to go with all guns blazing um, really take it to Clare and really try and get their form back um, and uh, try and get the fans give the Cork fans something to show about Mice, uh, I suppose we were saying that they might try something slightly different and there was a lot of long poke outs last year against Clare is Mark Keane possibly a man you could see maybe in the half forward line that would give an option that isn't there really uh, for, for a long puck out possibly yeah possibly um, I, I, I suppose to be fair to Mark like it's a huge ask yeah. for him like it would be a debut going into a team that's under pressure um, you know with fellas around him that might feel under pressure themselves I suppose if you're going into a winning side with confident players around you it might be easier so for him it would be a huge ask um, is he capable? Yeah, he probably is. I haven't seen enough of Mark with a hurler, to be honest, to judge. I've just seen him maybe with Bally Giblin, which is at a different level. Um, he does take a huge amount of the boxes, as obviously from an aerial ability, strength, um, and obviously has a good paw. So, yeah, possibly. But, you know, I don't think Cork are going to... I, I think it'll be a mix tomorrow. Like you said yourself, in, I don't think they're going to, you know, deviate a whole pile from the short game. Um, and clear the last day, you could see like I mentioned Shane O'Donnell going deep like all that is intentional like they'll bring their half forward line back their midfielders back and they'll crowd their own half back line to make sure that you know they make Cork go short like that they put the pressure on Cork to go short and you know if there's that much bodies if there's that much you know you know the space will be at a premium then and it could be very very difficult for Mark but maybe maybe you're right maybe they, they will try him but I'd expect that you know Robbie Flynn I thought did okay the last he got two good points Shane Barrett got two good points um, worked extremely hard and I'd expect them to be there will they bring Conor Lehan out um, and maybe have him as the as the last half forward um, I'm not sure well, look, as you say it, maybe number 12 is up for grabs maybe there is a position there but it would be huge ask for the young lad coming in into a team that's lacking confidence as it is are you still confident that that Cork can get the job done? Like, um, I suppose the, it, it's hard. It's very hard to call it. Like until until you see them, especially when they've had the two weeks off, um, and it's just all about how they've 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 worked for those two weeks. But are you confident that Cork can go out and be clear? Um, I I am, but like it's it's only kind of if that makes yeah. sense. Like, yeah. You know, like like I'm like you. I, I at the start of the year, I would have seen this as almost as a gimme um, that we, we get our win and we, we push on to the next game but you know I, I, I just think that Cork have to really approach this right no I know they will Kieran is a brilliant manager he's got a brilliant backroom with him and you know the players have experienced they've played in all of the finals and once the finals a lot of them so they know what's at stake but for me this is an absolutely huge game you know if you lose you could nearly say your season is over so they have to throw the absolute kitchen sink at it and give it absolutely everything um, but like I, I, you, you underestimate Clare with your pearl. Um, you know the, the John Conlon is good. Um, Mahan or um, Dermot Ryan in the car or right, right half back. Um, David McInerney left half back. They're good. They've got pacey cornerbacks Flanagan um, and Hayes. I really like Hayes. No, I do still think that maybe their full back line could be targeted. I think Clare gives away a lot of frees, and I would test the goalkeeper as well. Um, but your half-back line is good and it's the launch pad for most, most teams when you look at what Waterford and Limerick's half-back line is like so I won't say players is as good but it's definitely a very, very good half-back line and then in attack like they hold an awful lot of aces up there so I'd be worried um, I think it's very much a 50-50 game but if Cork bring their A game if the short game goes right if fellas touches in 
and if they have good confidence in their play um, and really take it and I would run at them as well like, I don't think we ran at them enough the last day against Limerick so I think if, if we run at the clear defence get them turned create a few goal scoring chances maybe take the score early when you break the tackle and go on your run slip it over early get a couple of good early scores get the crowd behind you I give Cork every chance but I, as I said I think it's a very much a 50-50 game Aidan mm, uh, Quickly as well just before I let you go um, the live game on TV is, is Galway versus Kilkenny and of course the that that's almost a sideshow to, to what people are really interested in uh, Henry Shefflin versus Brian Cody um, That that's pretty interesting intriguing to, to see a legendary manager probably the greatest of all time uh, up against his disciple and the greatest hurler of all time some people would say yeah um, Henry Shefflin was an incredible player and you're dead right Cody has just been incredible and even again what he's got he's got another he's got another tune out of this to break or this any team um, and he has this ability as well to kind of revitalise fellas saw a bit of the club stuff there a couple of months ago and Adrian Mullen looked like he was struggling a bit and he looked lacking a bit of energy um, but he's kind of found a new lease of life out of run with field and he got six points from play in the last game he just seems to have that ability to get fellas into the right position um, make huge calls I thought David Blanchfield was the game was the player of the league and yet he was dropped the last day um, he just seems to get the maximum out of every one of his players um, create a ferocious intensity obviously in training which then goes to Championship day, um, and then you know, with the next day, obviously with Henry on the line, um, and Henry's style, I'd imagine would would be very much that which he learned from the last himself, which is high intense play, play on the edge a bit, um, you know, kind of kill when you're in, in on goal, you know, and he's gone with a very physical team, um, you know, Cooney centre forward is strong, Conor Whelan is strong, and the two Burks, Patrick Mannion in the backs, they're all good, strong, physical players. So yeah, um, all roads will lead to Salt Hill, and it'll be. To be as many people watching the sideline, I think, as watching the the thirty players in the field. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Sean, enjoy the enjoy the games tomorrow, and uh, hopefully it'll be a, a Cork win, and uh, we won't be licking our wounds uh, tomorrow evening on the big red bench. Thanks a million. No bother. Please go. Thanks, Aidan. Take care. Yeah, Sean McGrath there on uh, tomorrow's huge must-win game for Cork Ian's Clare in the Munster Hurling Championship. After the break, we'll hear from Paul Townend and Neve Briggs. Don't go away. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. You're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. Aidan Lee here with you until seven full time in the Cork Red Union's Football League uh, Division 1. St. Finbar 16 points, Mallow 10 points. And uh, in the other game, uh, 24 minutes gone in the second half, Castlehaven 2-14, Aerog 3-11. All level there. Sounds like a cracker of a game uh, between Castlehaven and Aerog. Judd Trump is through to the final of the World Super Championship. He edged out Mark Williams there. It was a fascinating final frame decider, uh, 17-16. And uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins resume action a little later on. Ronnie O'Sullivan is ahead there. City coming back onto the pitch here. Manchester City there. They lead 1-0 away to Leeds, uh, Leeds United. And uh, if it stays that way, they'll go back on top after Liverpool won uh, earlier this morning. Um, on to a bit of horse racing. Paul Townend is champion jockey for a fifth time. Another massively successful season for the Corkman. He spoke to Dave Keena about his season highlights. 
Paul Town and it's been a magic week and a magic season really yeah definitely um, I suppose it was a bit stop start at the, the beginning with uh, injuries but uh, it's definitely finishing off in, in style here and you have a great team of people around you a great team of people in Willie's just talk to me a little bit about that like Willie is there but uh, David Casey's there Ruby's there and these are great people to be able to bounce stuff off and it's an intense season it is it's it's all year round you know um, but they're look, I have the easy job of steering them around the races uh, they guide me in the right direction Kieran O'Toole is my agent I have a good support team at home with Anna and my family and uh, between my physios Paul Harrington John Butler the races they keep me in one piece so uh, everyone ploughs in together and you know it's nice to be able to reward them with days out like this When you start out in the season champion jockey you've been champion, champion jockey this is the fifth time you've been champion jockey would that be the main aim or is it to try and win as many grade ones or a combination of both? We're probably greedy in combination of both so uh, being champion jockey is you need luck all year round um, and you know you need a powerful team behind you and I have that in Willies and a bit of luck so um, when you're riding for, for a stable like that you're nearly expected to be champion so it's it's nice at the end at the end of the year if you are but it's, it's you know it's not the be all and end all it's a long season and uh, it's important to pick up the big prizes along the way for, for the owners as well I think what's magic about Willie is his ability to peak these horses at various stages over the course of the season Christmas, Dublin Racing Festival, Cheltenham and to bring the majority of the horses back to Punchestown and have them maybe not run to their peak but to peak again to win these big prizes it's some training yes, his records and what he does speaks for that um, anything, any words I have won't do any injustice in that regard but um, no, he's he, I'm just fortunate to be a part of the team and you know, he, start, he doesn't start as early as other trainers probably in the season but um, he definitely finishes off in style and would there have been a, a highlight over the course of the year for you? I thought maybe Energamine winning the champion chase another box ticked. Yeah, I'll reflect on it next week and uh, we'll pick out all them moments but uh, at this moment in time we have another another race today and, and a full day again tomorrow so we'll, uh, we'll relax tomorrow afternoon. And tomorrow season's going to end you're going to have a little bit of time off what are you going to do when you're out? See a little bit of the world travel a little bit go to a few hurling matches like that play a bit more golf? We have the majority of, of June off with the restricted races so uh, um, I'm going to go on holidays for myself for, for a week uh, undecided where yet try and play a bit of golf uh, I'm doing groomsman for Slippers Madden then at his wedding so I have to come back for that and, and I'll hopefully get a couple of days off again after that it might be needed after the wedding Well listen you've been a great man to watch during the season and a pleasure to watch you well done I'm in champion jockey again well done Thanks very much yeah, certainly a fantastic duo, Paul Tonant and Willie Mullins. Ahead of the clash, now we turn to uh, rugby and ahead of the clash with Scotland tonight. John McCarthy spoke to former Ireland international Neve Briggs, as well as chairperson of Munster Women's, uh, the Munster Women's chairperson, should I say, Wendy Keenan. No, it is a real thrill on this week's Corks Red FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Not alone to have a resident rugby expert, Wendy Keenan, back with us, but also... Uh, one of the icons of Irish international women's rugby and Munster women's rugby, Neve Briggs, joins us. Neve, you're very, very welcome to the Big Red Bench. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, and thanks for coming on. Wendy, good to hear and see you again. How are you? I'm great. Sir. Thank you very much. Um, it's great to have you on, Neve. It's it's fantastic to have somebody with your experience of both club and international um, Munster rugby and women's rugby on. Unfortunately, you're on the week that Ireland suffer a pretty heavy defeat, to put it mildly, 69-0 to England. Now, the scoreline is disappointing. 
it was to be expected considering what has happened in the build-up to the match from an Irish international point of view. A lot of regular players gone with the sevens and a lot of injuries and a lot of untried people out in the pitch. What are the positives from your point of view as a backs coach? What did you take from that performance? Yeah, look, obviously we're going to be disappointed with um, the final score, but I think um, really positive in terms of how we went about our business, um, especially the first 40 minutes, I think, you know, tactically and uh, professionally, you know, we did a really good job. And I think that, um, look, it's night and day in terms of where England are at and where we're at. And we're very aware of that and we won't hide away from it. I think that's really important. We're very honest about um, where we are in terms of the pecking order, but we're also very aware of what we're building and growing. And I think that um, that 40, 40, first 40 minutes is something that we're going to hold on to because um, I thought we were exceptional in huge facets of that game, especially um, in our defence. Um, I thought, you know, we just um, probably made, you know, too many mistakes in the second half in terms of um, our discipline um, and that let them, you know, run up that big score. But it's, it's a bit weird to be, for me to be able to sit here tonight and tell you that, um, you know, under the posts and every single moment there you know this group this is what gives me a huge amount of hope there's you know that we're on the right track this the resilience that they have within them they never they never shied away from the task in hand they were very you know aware during the game that it was their mistakes that were letting England back into that territory our inability to probably exit at times and um, and of course look their power game is like it was unbelievable to be there and to watch them play but also understand you know where we need to get to so yeah, look, obviously incredibly disappointed today. I feel like, you know, the the work that we put in before the game and um, in the previous weeks, that scoreline didn't do us very much justice. But it's also a really harsh lesson in terms of international rugby and how ruthless it is. And we've got to get that ruthlessness inside us. And um, we've got to have that that um, that cutting edge, I think, for us um, to be able to go to the next level. Yes, and you make a very good point about the honesty of the group. The honesty of effort, I don't think you'd ever question with this group coming into it. Look, this is the best English team, women's international team I've ever seen, probably for the same for yourselves. I'm going to ask you that question in a minute. The sheer physicality, look, the work that's been done behind the scenes, their life cycle, they're ahead of Ireland and a lot of other countries right now. But it's what what I was really happy about, I suppose, more than anything, Niamh, if you can say you're happy after a 69-0 defeat, the honesty of the comments before the match, the honesty of the comments after the match, both from management and from players, a lot of level heads is how I would describe it, are in that dressing room. And clearly a lot of level level heads are in that management team. It's very important that supporters and supporters of Irish women's rugby don't lose faith. And just because of that big and disappointing result, it is a disappointing result, but that we take the important elements of where we are and we build on it and we, we, we go somewhere positive from there. But there's going to be a lot of eyes on you now. There's going to be a lot of eyes on Irish international women's rugby now because of that. Because I think there's a real there's a real feel good factor around Irish women's rugby, and there has been for some time. The increased media presence definitely has helped you. I think people want you to be successful, but that's not enough. You need investment. You need equality in terms of when for facilities and also for probably for investment in terms of contract. But that's for another day. But from your own point of view and from an ex player's point of view. You see a pathway with this team and you see a pathway probably with the team just underneath as well coming through that Ireland can eventually match the likes of England. Yeah, look, the big thing here is is that, 
like over the last few months, there's been significant change with within the RFU and how it's, the women's game is viewed. And like we can't shy away from that. And you talk about quality and facilities. We train in the exact same facility that the men's do. And like, like that's you know that's not the facilities isn't why we're where we are today. We're where we're where we are today is because for a long time there's just not been enough pathways to from a domestic side of the game to a high performance and and that's that's been clear and honest and i think that it's definitely changing you see it and look contracts you know they're they're imminent they have to be we're, we're very aware that greg's spoken about it in the, me- the media afterwards they're coming and they ha- in order for us to be able to bridge gaps with the likes of the england and the francis you know that, that that's um, that's really important that we know that they're coming. The big thing is that we've got to make sure that they're right for us. We can't go off a model like England because we don't have the club facility that's, and structures and pathways in place that they do. The AIL is very different to the Premiership. We've got to try and find a way um, that the contracts aren't given out for the sake of just being given out. And everybody sits back and goes, you know, okay, it's great. We have 20 professional players in Ireland. They have to be done in a way that we get the best out of these 20 players or 24 players or 18 players. I'm not even sure how many that's coming. Mm. So in order for that to happen, then you've got to look at, you know, your domestic game. How can we best get, you know, the AIL to facilitate the high performance? Can we marry the domestic game to the high performance side of the, the game? And, and that takes patience and it can't be something that's rushed and like glossed over. You've got to talk about, okay, this cycle of international players, but what's coming after us? And um, brilliant start to that under, you know, an under 18 squad with a Six Nations tournament very recently. You know, we're now seeing under 18s and 17s and 16s girls here in Munster, you know, in these development plans. And and that's what happens. And that takes time. And if, as long as we remain patient and understand what's coming underneath us, then, you know, the gap will continue to be there for the short term. But knowing that long term that we, we have, we're subject to change and that we have the ability to be able to close us. Um, but we've got to make sure that the foundations from the very bottom are correct. And I don't have all the answers, Sharon, I don't, but I do know that the, the, in order for us to continue to get better, yes, from high performance and my few points of view, you know, it's already in a movement. We talked about full-time coaches, we're talking about full-time project um, program managers and a high performance manager in SNC. That's all there, that's all coming. And um, we've just got to make sure that we marry what's underneath us so that we do have a pathway in place like for all the world. Watching England yesterday was like, like watching the, the Leinster men. It's just this conveyor belt of players that are coming through all the time. And we've got to get to that position where we do have a conveyor belt of players. And um, and I think that it's happening. It's just that it's happening. They're, the kids now are 16, 17, 18 years of age. And we've just got to be patient and wait for them to get to international level. That's a fair point, uh, Wendy Keenan, because you're a lot closer as well just to the domestic uh, and the interprovincial scene, certainly from your role with Munster. There seems to be an awful lot of impatience. I think that's a fair comment to make on the outside looking in when you don't have all the details. Look, just give them the contracts. Just just, just get things going. We're, we're so close or we need to be closer. And a lot of the knee-jerk reaction, I think, the negative knee-jerk reaction to the England and Ireland result, again, for people who didn't even probably watch the game and didn't see the performance that Nia was talking about, especially in the first half, um, where are we, in your opinion? How close are we? And, you know, I think the interprovincial game has certainly improved. Certainly, as Niamh said, the under-18s are, are a much better prospect over the last couple of years, uh, Irish international team. So there does seem to be a glut of young players coming through. And you've spoken on this podcast every week about the explosion of interest at under-14, under-16, even the mini-7s. So the, I think the foundations are there. I guess the question is, 
can is there a time frame on something like Neve is talking about to have those pathways and to have those players coming through and to have contracts for them that are meaningful? Um, I think it's really important what Neve is saying is that, you know, you can go out and give 30 contracts. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the better team playing in the Six Nations next year. Um, you know, I mean, this has to be a very sound process and, and a correct process for Ireland to develop. But for us to, you know, grow these players, if you like, we have to increase our player base, you know what I mean, to, to have a bigger pool of players to choose from. And then it's about lifting the standards from our minis, from our 14s, 16s, all the way through. So, you know, we're getting those foundations right, those scaffoldings right for, you know, for the house that's above that we all want to see succeed. And and I suppose you do see all the comments. Um, I mean, it was a very difficult second half. I think it was, Neve, if I'm correct, it's 23 minutes that you played with 14 players, you know, against the best team in the world, which which is very difficult. But then there were so many positives to take from the first 40 minutes about the execution of the game plan that, you know, the ability is there. But while we were talking about players coming off the bench, England were talking about the experience that they play, of players that they were bringing off the bench and the number of caps that they had already. So, you know, it just shows you that, you know, their structures are very different. In terms of where we're at, I do think we're probably a couple of years off in relation to, you know what I mean, bridging that gap um, in relation to that. I mean, if we see, you know, we see it at, you know, 14s and 16s. Yes, now we're seeing it at 18s um, a little bit, but their playing age is now much lower. They're coming through the mini structure. So their basic handling skills are so much better than, you know, I mean, I've said it about ex exciting under 14 cup final matches that I've watched that some of the handling and some of the offloading and some of the tackling technique has been better than some of the under 18 matches that I've seen. And it's just because, you know, they're they're coming through a different era um, with different experiences, both in the club, um, you know, from the coaching perspective. And I suppose the, um, you know, the, not only the coaching, but what the expectations of the players are now higher um, in relation to, you know, fulfilling the under 14 league. We moved away from the blitz structures to get them into that under 14 league where we have 28 um, clubs now participating in that at that level. But it is going to take time. But as Niamh said, it is about developing the correct pathways. We've seen two already this year. Um, we have our under-16s and under-18s, um, sevens, you know, uh, Interpros this weekend. It's another pathway for them. Munster had the first schools, junior and senior this year. That's another experience for them. So collectively, you know what I mean? We're, we're widening up the angles in which, you know what I mean? They can funnel up into the top level. Um, but it, it is about putting the correct coaches in place, the correct managers in place, the correct, you know what I mean, and, and having the, the correct people at the top to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I think the biggest mistake we could make is to copy another country where we're not the same. We don't have the player base that, we, that they have in England. No, and I, I think that's a very fair point that both of you have made. And I, I would just say at one final question to that, Wendy, as well, like going into the schools, Getting Munster rugby coaches into the schools was probably the biggest step forward, I think, personally. And this is just me on the outside looking in. Because when you go into schools when girls are at a young age and you show them the very basics of how to handle and pass the ball, something I couldn't even try to do, no, I'll be honest with you. But you're right. Some of the under-14 games I've seen this year, you can see the difference. The earlier you catch them and get their attention and show them the basics, the more chance you have of developing players of the likes, the next Neil Briggs down the line as time goes. So, for all the pathways that you put in place, for all the foundations that are there, um, how important is it that you stay in the schools and you get more access to schools over the next couple of years? Oh, it's vital. Absolutely vital. So next year, we're going to introduce the under 14 competition into the schools. So they'll have competition now 14, 16 um, and 19. And you might say, why am I saying 19 when the boys are 18 and a half? It's, it's so that to make sure that that sixth year student doesn't miss out on playing in the senior cup. Um 
you know, for that reason, because they wouldn't have as many matches as the boys would have anyway at a school level. But um, I mean, that's where we're going to get the, you know, the girls. And it's interesting that, you know, we, we talk about girls playing sport. And we, we mentioned that on the podcast already. I was watching a, a girls hockey final at the weekend. They warmed up with a rugby ball um, while running around the pitch, which was just great to see. Uh, that wasn't your influence, I hope not. No, no nothing to me, not that not my club, but um, totally different. But like they were schoolgirls, they were young, you know, 14, 15, 16 year olds. And it's just really about, I suppose, just making we're changing a culture. Yeah. Um, within the schools and let, letting girls play all sports uh, and, and you know, those transferable skills that, that they can play many sports in school is really important. And I suppose with rugby as well, because you've got your forwards and back, it's different to hockey. It's different to camogie. There's a place for everybody on the pitch and it's got that inclusive factor. And that should be, you know, really attractive for, for all the girls coming through to play. Always promoting Wendy. Fair play to you. She's like a proper agent of Munster Women's <laughs> Rugby. Niamh, can I ask you... Um, when you see all the opportunities now that 14s and 16-year-olds are getting, getting to play uh, at Musgrave Park and things like that for schools finals and all the positive, you know, all the hard work that's been done. And the really impressive thing I think about the Munster coaching setup is the time that's gone into getting the right people into those positions. I see it at junior men's level. I see it at kids' level, but I also now see it at girls' level. When you were coming through, did you, you I don't know whether you had those same opportunities or not, Um I mean, are you envious of the of that of the girls at that age? Know that they have these opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, rugby for girls wasn't really around when I was younger. I didn't start playing till I went to college, like most of the other girls that I was playing rugby with through club or country at the time. And um, so, yeah, look, it's brilliant. I think it's very evident now when you're like I'm coaching club here in Limerick and um, Munster and obviously with Ireland when you see girls that have come from a mini structure or an under 10 and 12 game um, teams um, you can already see it they catch things quicker they understand the game better and um, they have the ability to probably jump to levels very quickly and you know it's important that we continue to develop those players those players that are um, on a pathway to red and green jerseys they need to be playing at high level they need to be challenged every week not because um, you know the competition you know isn't good enough at like you know smaller clubs it's to do with the fact that when they get to a level where they're playing international rugby against the likes of England's um that they're robust enough to be able to do that and I think that that's definitely something that um I I believe should be filtered down I think the more that we can get as many young girls at 18 19 20 years of age that are playing top level AIL then the better it is in order for them to be able to make that jump into international rugby it's not as much of a a shock to the system, I think. Um, but there's look, it's 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 class. It's brilliant to see it. So look, I went out to school here in Limerick that they had won the junior cup this year, um, before the the cup season had even started, and um, went to visit them with Nicole Cronin and Leah Tafau, two Munster players, and you could see it. You could visibly see the influence that they had had in their old secondary school, and and um, and how much rugby had grown in 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 there. So. It, it's it's brilliant I tell you it just gives me a huge amount of um, just a, like a huge amount of hope I think in terms of where the game is going for a while there you know there didn't seem to be a huge amount coming through um and but now you can see it you go across you know to any club on a Sunday morning and there's a hundred kids 50 of them are boys but 50 of them are girls and um it's brilliant and you can see you know the the, the big thing is, and when you just spoke about it there, is that age, you know what I mean? When they get to 17, 18, 19 years, years of age, how do we keep them in the game? You know, when they're going to college, 
how do we keep them in the game? And that's that's a huge challenge, not just for rugby, but across every sport. And I think the more that we can get them to understand, you know, you're going to have groups of players that are in it for participation, but you're going to have groups of players that are going to be in it for competitiveness. We can't drive the participation players away because we're too competitive, but we also can't drive the competitive players away because we just look for participation. And that's a really big challenge for girls because in boys, it's very it's very evident. You know, if you're in a pathway for, with rugby, you're going into an academy structure and into the professional game, hopefully. It's not like that with women's rugby. Um, so it's very it's a very different model. So trying to marry that is a huge challenge for the domestic game, I think. And I think that the likes of Wendy and, and like Ken and stuff in, in Munster are doing a brilliant job of being able to do that. Indeed, they are. And look, before we finish, uh, there was one question I've always wanted to ask you, Nave, because... When I when I when I interview an ex player, especially when they go into coaching, because not enough of them go into coaching, how much do you miss playing? Is the obvious question. You clearly miss playing, but how much the last day against England was the leg kind of going a bit when you were standing there, or the hands going when you saw the moves happening? How much? How much when you when you're a coach and you're on the sideline and you're immersed in a team? How much do you miss being the actual player and not having to worry about all the coaching and looking after all those players? Um, would you believe I, I don't miss playing at all? I I'm I'm so loving um women's coaching i'm loving it so much that i i don't my body gave up a good time ago in terms of of being competitive and if i couldn't play competitively at the top level then i i didn't really like want to play so it doesn't miss being hit it doesn't miss the, the contact but to be honest the minute i started coaching um uh with fiona hayes and bows i became completely immersed in it um obsessive to the point that it just consumes me. So, um, yeah, well, I definitely didn't want to be playing the other day, to be honest. I Look, I, my time has been, and I've really enjoyed it. I had the best 10 years ever playing international rugby, but I'm very aware now that my own my best way of giving back is not by continuing to play, but by hoping to develop more players uh, to be able to play for Ireland. Uh, that is so refreshing to hear somebody talking so positively, somebody that's had that experience in international level and gone into coaching. Wendy, we don't have enough Neve Briggses. I wish we had a few more. But how lucky are we to have Neve Briggs in both Munster and the Ireland? I mean, it's, it's really important for our girls to see all our pathways, but you know what I mean? Neve has walked the walk and while Neve mightn't say the leg is going, we can see the excitement in, on the <laughs> sideline, Neve. You know what I mean? When you see the girls breaking tackles or, you know, giving them passes and it, it's just refreshing and it's very honest to see it. You know what I mean? That you're, you're living it with them. But it is really important that we have leaders such as Neve so the girls see not only is there a pathway to playing, but there's also a pathway in coaching both at club level, but now at an international level. And, and that's really important. And we're really proud of, of Neve and we're proud of Gemma in Munster who's involved with IRFU and, and Amanda you know the girls they've come through the Munster structure they've played from Munster we'll always count them you know they'll always be ours our red jerseys and they give up so much of their time to do that and that's what I want to really get over is that you know if this was easy everybody would be doing it um, and it isn't and it takes an awful lot of time and Neve sacrifices a lot of her personal life in relation to be stay committed to the game um, you know I mentioned that the Irish girls missed out on the presentation of pins that we had um, recently like Neve was one of those and I, I've no doubt that you would have loved to have been there but you know that's that's part of international rugby and, and they will be recognised you know what I mean at a later stage but you know it's commendable and, and we're really proud not only of the players but we're also proud of Neve and everybody else that has you know been involved at international level well we're very we're very lucky to have somebody like Dave Briggs we're also very lucky to have somebody like Wendy Keenan uh right. pushing Munster Women's Rugby and on podcasts and any chance she gets and being such an advocate of it look um Neve, Wendy it's been 
you know, you'd swear we beat England 69-0 after all this because there is such and there should be a positive outlook for the future of Irish women's rugby. We're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep highlighting it until we get to where we need to get to. And I've, I've no doubt with people like yourselves involved, that's going to happen sooner rather than later. But on behalf of everybody here on the Big Red Bench, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Neil Briggs. And as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Wendy. And I know you're in a rush because you've got a hockey match or training and this podcast is interrupting your your own personal life. So we're going to wrap it up there. But thank you both very, very much for your time. Thanks very much, Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And of course, you can hear from Jar every Thursday at noon with the Women in Sport podcast, also on redfm.ie. Man City are winning 2-0 now. Nathan Ake put the citizens two up and they will go back to the top of the Premier League their way to Leeds I forgot Nathan Ake existed until he scored that goal don't forget tomorrow Rory speaks to uh, Gary O'Sullivan Spike O'Sullivan after his huge news uh, that he's getting the, the title shot at the end of May so tune in for that uh, 6 to 7 tomorrow evening with Rory on the big red bench Stevie G is on the way next The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Cork's Red FM